Turn with me now to the book of Acts chapter 19 as we continue on this journey with one another here as we spend this time as the scripture leads us into all truth. Today's message is entitled Acts of Yeshua's Emissaries, His Shalakim, the called out ones, the sent ones, the messengers. Just as they were at that time, we are today. We are God's living epistles, written letters, living all our lives before all people that they will see what? The hope that dwells within us, and that's not ourselves. It's not through our education or our physical prowess or intellect. It is through the spirit of the living God that is the hope that is in us. And what are we to be doing? But pointing them, everyone, towards the way of receiving Messiah. I know at work at Coles, there have been times when I've had fellow believers, and they know I'm a believer, and they've come up to me and say, how are you doing? How, how are you going through this uh, pandemic? And I've been able to encourage and share with them. Know this, that no matter through this pandemic or this election that's currently still going on, we're not, not to walk in fear because the one who sits upon the throne in heaven, both the Father and the Son, they're not up for election. And it is God, as Alan shared earlier today in the Torah reading, it is God that raises up both kings and presidents and emperors and leaders in these nations. Nothing does not go against, but only according to his will. And we can rest in that and knowing that our father has the best. And you know what? If, if the Lord allows someone to become as our leader in our nation or in our county, won't believers get more serious with serving God and, and living out his word? You know, at times we become very, very lazy, do we not? When we look at these political leaders and we say, well, they're the answer. They're not, and they never will be. They're frail humans just like we are. But God uses them for such a time. And so as God is orchestrating his will through this pandemic and through these elections that are currently going on and those that have been completed, we know this, that if he's ready to draw his kihilah, his body of Messiah, because there are many, many congregations that are not preaching and teaching about the rapture. Today's message is not on the rapture, but are you ready? Are you looking forward for his return? Rav Shaul, as he was going forth and proclaiming the good news and building the kingdom, he was looking for Yeshua's return. Are we, are we as individuals and the corporate body of Messiah, are we looking for his return to take his bride to be back with him again? Only you can answer that question. Now let's go towards the scripture here. In Acts chapter 19, beginning at verse 1. While Apollos was in Corinth, Shaul completed his travels through the inland country and arrived at Ephesus, where he found a few Talmudi. I now stop there and ask you this. The spirit of the living God is looking to and fro through the whole earth. There's a portion of God's body who are falling away. They're going after things of the world. They're not serving God and honoring his word. And this is a call out to them, to call out to all of us. So here, Rav Shaul found a few Talmudim, those who were walking along the way. Because, you know, in the book of Acts, it records people coming to a full knowledge and saving knowledge of Messiah. But because of persecution or family pressure, some of them abandoned the Lord. That went on then and is going on even today. 
And it's shocking in America and throughout the world how many believers are forsaking the Lord and going after things of this world, going on to another path. So let's go forward here. Verse 2, and he asked them, did you receive the Ruach HaKodesh when you came to trust? I know this. While he asked this question, Rav Shaul, when he received the revelation of who Yeshua was, that was not sufficient. He also needed the infilling of the Ruach HaKodesh for him to be able to maintain and stay in his relationship with Yeshua. And that's why he's bringing this question before them. He sees that, yes, they are believers, but he notices something here. And it's not from his own intellect. The Spirit of the living God speaks to his heart and lets him know this. They haven't received the Spirit yet to the point where they can be empowered to go and face all this persecution and pressure that he knows that soon that they were to undergo. And you know what? That has not changed from this time of this writing and the living out up till today and beyond. We are to be people filled with what? Filled with the Ruach HaKodesh. Filled with the Spirit of the living God. Otherwise, Yeshua would not say, I now go to my Father's house to prepare a place for you, but do not be afraid. I am now going to give you my Ruach, my Spirit. Let's go forward here. Did you receive the Ruach HaKodesh when you came to trust? No, they said to him. We have not even heard that there is such a thing as a Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit. In that case, he said, into what were you immersed? The immersion of Yohanan, they answered. So Shaul said, Yohanan practiced an immersion in connection with turning from sin to God. But he told the people to put their trust in the one who came after him, that is Yeshua. On hearing this, they were immersed into the name of the Lord Yeshua. Going forward in verse 6. And when Shaul had placed his hands upon them, the Ruach HaKadosh, the Holy Spirit, came upon them so that they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. In all, there were about 12 of these men. We went in, into deeper discussion last Shabbat, so now we begin in verse 8. So Shaul went into the synagogue, and for three months he spoke out boldly, engaging in dialogue and trying to persuade the people about the kingdom of God. Verse 9. But some began hardening themselves and refusing to listen. And when these started defaming the way before the whole synagogue, Shaul withdrew and took the Talmudim with him and commenced holding daily dialogues in Tyrannus Yeshiva, or school in some of your translations. This went on for about two years, so that everyone, both Jews and Greeks, living in the province of Asia, heard the message about the Lord Yeshua. So now let's go a little bit deeper. In Ephesus, the development of the opposition to the good news within the synagogue was very relatively slow in its coming. In other passages of the book of Acts, it was almost immediate going forward. It took three months. But when it came and grew strong enough to obstruct the communication of the good news, Shaul did a stra strategic withdrawal. You know, there are times when we come on so heavy and intense and in bringing someone to come to a saving knowledge of Messiah, and we keep pressing them, and we keep pressing them, and keep pressing them, they seem uh, totally overwhelmed. And so the Spirit of living God, if we're hearing his voice, he says, back off, Frank. Give them time to think about this. Simply withdraw 
and allow them to hear me speak to them. Not Frank, but the spirit of the living God. So here Rothschild strategically, he withdraws to Tyrannius's yeshiva. Now the Hebrew word yeshiva comes from the word which means to sit, to sit down. Not to be occupied with all these other things. You know, we have a word today. It's called multitasking. Some women have greater ability to multitask than guys do. Guys, many times, uh, us men, we have to be focused on one thing at a time. Otherwise, what happens, we get preoccupied with everything else going on. Like today, we may be thinking, well, what time is that college football game going to start? Or you know what? I got to get out in the yard today. And since we live in Minnesota, there may be some snow I need to, to remove. This past week in the area where I live, we received up to seven inches of snow. And I was able to take care of that. And things are all straightened out. So the word yeshiva, the essence of the word is to sit. Remember that example where Martha came up to Yeshua because she was very, very upset. And she said, Mary, uh, she should be helping me with all these things. And what did Yeshua say to Martha? She has received because she simply sat at his feet and she listened. See, we can be so preoccupied. You know what? Things need to be done. All right. But there are times we need to sit. Do you have time during the week where you sit in the presence of the Lord? You open up his word, you shut everything off, and simply focus on hearing from him? Or the Ruach HaKodesh? Do you, do you spend time during the week where you allow the spirit of the living God to speak to you and inform you? Or you just simply live your lives that when something happens, then all of a sudden, oh, that's right. You can't figure it out on your own, but, oh, that's right. Now I can go and, and I, I can go inquire what the Spirit wants me to do. This should be an ongoing relationship. Just like you have with Yeshua, you should have a living relationship, a communication, a dialogue, and a time of listening of what the Spirit of the living God is speaking to you directly to do. Let's go forward here. So the Hebrew word yeshiva comes from the word meaning to sit. It signifies a place of learning Torah. And some of those that are listening now, they'd say, well, you mean that they simply just focused on the Old Testament? That's right, Torah. Because the Brit Hadashah was being written, and they couldn't focus on that at that time. So those of you who never read from the Torah, the Old, Old Testament, you are missing the firm foundation stone. The point of reference of any book in the Brit Hadashah, which is the New Testament, its foundation is in the Torah, the Old Testament. Let's go forward here. The Greek word so rendered it's spelled scholi, which is spelled S-C-O-L-E, which in English means school, all right? So some of your translations have been properly translated that this is Tyrannus's school or yeshiva, all right? Going forward, school means a study hall, a place where students and teachers met with one another. It appears as a loan word in rabbinic literature, and probably no English word comes close to its proper meaning of yeshiva. Or alternatively, it's called what? A midrash, which is a school, a college, an academy, or seminary. Seminary. The Yiddish word is shul. Like you'll hear a lot of Orthodox Jewish people say, well, do you, are you going to shul? That's what they mean going forward. But these Hebrew words, because they are now English, are, are set up so that we can understand that yeshiva and school, they're intertwined with one another going forward with this. 
Now we'll go back to verse number 11. God did extraordinary miracles through Shaul. For instance, handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were brought to sick people. They would recover from their ailments, and evil spirits would leave them. So with this, as we dig deeper, the, one of the main aims of the book of Acts is to show that in every way Shaul the emissary to the Gentiles had a ministry to equal that of Kepha, the leading emissary to the Jews. That's recorded in Galatians 2, 7 and 9, which these verses compare Kepha's healing miracles found in Galatians 5, 15 and 16. And of course, it is God that heals. It's not Shaul. It's not Kepha. Now we move here to verse number 13. But I want to reread to you verse 12. Because here we'll see some, some significance here. For instance, in Acts chapter 19, verse 12, for instance, handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him, who's the him? But Shaul were then brought to sick people, and they would recover from their ailments, and the evil spirits would leave them. And notice this. Rav Shaul didn't say, oh, here's my handkerchief. Go and take this and lay on that on people who are sick. Or here's my work apron from today. Because during the week, from Sunday, which was the first day of the work week, through uh, Friday, before the sun went down, was the regular work week. And where would we find Rav Shaul? He would be in the marketplace selling his tents or his tallits. He would be selling them. And as he was working in the very, very high, uh, warm climates, he would begin to sweat and perspire. So he'd use handkerchiefs to, to wipe his brow and to keep his undergarments and his clothing cleaner, he would be wearing aprons. Otherwise, when you're carrying a camel, and this is camel's hair, all right? He would make tents out of camel's hair and other animal skins. That's very, very, very abrasive to the clothing that he would normally be wearing. So he'd be wearing these heavy type aprons on his body that would protect his regular clothing. Otherwise, he'd be constantly sewing where there were tears or worn out spots on his clothing. And notice this at the very end of verse 12. These aprons and these handkerchiefs, by God's anointing on Rav Shaul, Rav Shaul didn't simply gather them and pray over his handkerchiefs or pray over these, these aprons and say, God, can you now produce your healing power? This is just something what the Spirit of the living God did. Now, today, do we have people sending out handkerchiefs and aprons, laying them on people, and instantaneously they're healed? No, that's not taking place. But God, through the power of the Spirit, decided to do that for such a time as this. And notice this at the end of verse number 12, that evil spirits would flee from those people who were demonically possessed from the laying on these handkerchiefs and these aprons. Now that's recorded in scripture. And you know what? It's kind of a preparation of what next that the spirit of living God is going to historically record for the, for the messianic community from all generations from that time up until now and beyond to focus on. Now let us Look now at verse number 13. Some of the Jewish exorcists. How many of us have seen the movie, The Exorcist? I have in the past. I tell you, when I saw it, I thought, that's, that's a crazy movie. And it was a crazy movie. Okay? And I don't have to go into the, the movie. A lot of you are familiar with that movie. So let's move forward. Here are Jewish exorcists. Why do you need exorcists in the Jewish community? Because Jewish people would 
be possessed by demons. Just as regular people throughout the whole known world at that time could be demonically possessed. See, the scripture here is acknowledging both angels and demons. And what are demons but fallen, rebellious angels? That's where they come from. Well, who is Hasatan? He is the chief rebellious and fallen angel. That's who he is. Who sits on the throne? God the Father and God the Son. They have all authority and power over these demons. Have you ever read the book of, of, of Job? What's the dialogue going on in heaven between Hasatan, Satan, and God? He says, Job says, uh, excuse me, Hasatan says, you know, if, if, if you allow me to touch your servant Job, then he will curse you. And the only reason why he serves you is because you bless him. And so what did God do? God allowed Hasatan to touch Job's life. And we all know the rest of the story. But the end of this, Job received a far greater revelation than before about his relationship with God. And you know, at the end of Job's story, he gave him more children and he blessed him far beyond that. Because Job, excuse me, Hasatan desired for Job to do one thing, to simply curse God. But Job, he cursed the day that he was born, but he never cursed God. And so Hasatan is there to test us. So let us go back here to the scripture. And we're not lifting up demons today. But you know what? You got to know that your enemy exists. And you have to know his way of doing things. And know this, he that dwells within you, and who is that? But Yeshua himself and the Ruach HaKodesh is greater than he that is in the world. Greater than Hasatan himself. So let us get back to the scripture in verse 13. Some of the Jewish exorcists who traveled from place to place to make use of the name of the Lord Yeshua in connection with the people who had evil spirits. And so this is just the spirit of living God who's now speaking through the author of the book of Acts, I should say the scribe, being Luke, the apostle Luke, is informing him and saying, this is what is happening behind the scenes. This was their motive. And this is what they tried to do. They tried to take things of Yeshua and to use it for their own benefit without having Yeshua's permission. Let's go back to the scripture here. Verse 13. Some of the Jewish exorcists who traveled from place to place to make use of the name of the Lord Yeshua in connection with the people who had evil spirits, they would say, I exercise you by Yeshua that Shaul is proclaiming. All right? And so they're just taking this name, just like you or I would quote someone who's in authority, and by the use of their name, we're trying to accomplish something. And so that was simply what they were doing. But you know what? They were not giving permission by Yeshua to do this because he did not know them personally. Let's go forward here. Verse 14. At one time, seven sons of a Jewish Kohen Gadol named Sceva were doing this. So the Spirit now is recording this. He's showing us this, that if you do not have a relationship and Yeshua doesn't know you personally, this 
possibly could happen to you if God allows it to happen. Let's go forward here. Verse 15, the evil spirit answered them. Notice this, the individual, that human being is not part of the conversation. So who is here in control? But this demon. And he speaks to them directly. And the evil spirit answered them. It said, Yeshua, I know. What does the scripture say? That the falling angels, when they hear or know of Yeshua's presence, they tremble in fear. Why? Because they know that in the future, he shall judge them. And they know this, that one day they will be thrown in the lake of fire for all eternity to be tortured for their rebellion against God. These are the very angels that were able to see the presence of God in the heavens for centuries, before centuries were even recorded. The angels were there. And these angels allowed the deception of Hasatan to lead them to a path that eventually will lead to destruction. See, there, there are enemies in this world that are demonic en enemies. And the Spirit of the living God is pulling back the veil so that we as believers can see clearly that our fellow human beings are not our enemies. They're simply lost and walking in deception. Who was our truly mortal enemy? Hasatan and those fallen angels. So when you look at your fellow human being upon this earth, and if they have a different opinion politically, or etc., on different issues, we are to see them as God sees them. Just as we were once ourselves, deceived and lost, and not knowing Yeshua, God the Father, and the Ruach HaKodesh intimately. And notice this, that the Spirit of living God is, is calling and giving us an illustration here of seven men, sons of a Kohen Gadol, sons of a Levitical priest. And you know what? These seven men were also Levites themselves. Those who had been set aside, God's chosen priests that would be a light to the Gentiles. But this is what they were doing. They're taking the name of Yeshua, whom they did not believe to be the Messiah, but they saw that the power of God was being manifest to the point where in the name of Yeshua, that these demons would flee. And there was power to cast out these demons. Let's go back here towards the scripture with that conversation here. Verse 15, and the evil spirit answered them and said, Yeshua, I know, and Shaul, I recognize. Okay, I know who he is, but notice this. They know beyond a shadow of doubt who Yeshua is. They know that he died. He rose from the dead. And now he's at the right hand of the Father. And they know that at any moment, God's end time judgment upon those angels can happen at any moment. Let's go forward here. Verse 15, and the evil spirit answered them. It said, Yeshua, I know, and Shaul, I recognize, but who are you? In other words, what authority do you have over me? 
Let's go on to verse 16. The man with the evil spirit fell upon them. Notice this. This is seven men. Okay? Brothers who had grown and had one another's back. These men are experienced in doing exorcism. But something different happens this time. Let's go forward. Verse 16. Then the man with the evil spirit fell upon them and overpowered them. Think about that. One against seven. Is this man operating in his own natural strength and ability? No. This is a demonic possessed man who has demonic power and strength going through his body. Let's continue in that verse. Overpowered them and gave them such a beating that they ran away from the house naked and bleeding. Now we have to contemplate what's going on here. These men were experienced in doing exorcism, but now God decided he would show them that they were playing with demonic fire. They were presuming upon the name of Yeshua, which we as believers should never presume on. And he was giving them a warning, opening up their eyes. Because I believe this, God's grace was with them prior to this exorcism. Because Yeshua was simply a name and authority for them to continue as exorcists. But God wanted to reveal to them that they do not have. This demon actually rebuked them in that he said these words, I know Yeshua. But they didn't know him. They were walking in deception here. They did not have a personal relationship with Yeshua. Notice in verse number 12 that Rav Shaul's handkerchiefs and his aprons that were being placed upon these people who were sick, they would recover. They were healed. Paul didn't even have to be there praying over them or laying hands on them. And also, evil spirits would leave those who are being possessed. These are very, very important recordings in Scripture. Now, am I to tell you that today, if you take your handkerchief and lay it on somebody, they're automatically going to be healed? Or if you took your apron, the same thing was going to happen? Or a demonic spirit would flee? From that person's body, I would be leading you down a path of deception. But the scripture records that for such a time, this is how God operated. See, many times people in the body of Messiah, we take things that are written in the scripture. And we think, well, we can make God operate as he has recorded. Because you know what? He's bound by his word. Okay, think of this. Has anyone walked up to a body of water with a group of people and say, and just stood there and waited for God to part the water so they could walk on the other side? See, that was a one-time miracle for one time. How many times we as believers, we presume on the way the Lord's going to do things or the Ruach HaKodesh is going to do things? And he does things differently at different times. So this was a wake-up call to these. This was a, a grace and mercy. That demon could have killed all seven of those men. 
but the, I believe the spirit of living God restrained them. Their eyes were open. You know what? In scripture, it doesn't record them ever coming to a saving knowledge of Messiah. But don't you think that they revered and they respected the name of Yeshua going forward? Don't you think that they started to contemplate and think about, well, maybe this is the Messiah? Because I'm sure they heard the reports of this other man, Shaul, and notice that the demon says the name is Shaul. Maybe afterwards, maybe one or maybe all seven would have inquired or went to listen to Rav Shaul when he was speaking at this yeshiva. See, all these things are not recorded in the scripture. You know, one day in the future, when we're all in heaven, we may meet all seven sons of Sceva, and they will share their testimony, how this was the means of God removing the veil from their eyes so they could see Yeshua for who he is. Let us turn now to the Gospel of Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. Because I really believe this, that the demonic manifestation in these latter days, if you read the book of Revelation, you will read about fallen angels exposing themselves underneath the authority of God and dealing with mankind. So let's turn to Luke chapter 8 and verse 26. See, we're not to walk by fear. We're to equip one another with God's word. And we're to follow whose example? First Yeshua's and any other godly person that God, through the spirit of living God, has lifted up for us to emulate how they dealt with situations. So here's... Uh, Luke chapter 8, verse 26. They sailed on, and that's Yeshua in his Talmudim, and landed in the region of Gerizines, Gadara in some of your translations, which is opposite Galil or Galilee. As Yeshua stepped ashore, a man from the town who had demons came to meet him. Stop and think about this. No one else from that area knew that Yeshua was going to come. But you see, in the supernatural world, when a man or woman of God goes into a certain area, and you being men and women of God, the spirit of the living God dwells within you, and the demonic falling angels and those angels who are not fallen, who are upon this earth, they recognize our presence, not because of who we are, but that the spirit of the Ruach HaKodesh and Yeshua who dwells within us, that presence goes before us. Let's go forward here. Verse 26, as Yeshua stepped ashore, a man from the town who had demons came to meet him. For a long time, he had not worn clothes. And he lived not in a house, but in burial caves. Are burial caves a clean place for someone to reside? No. Let's go forward here. Catching sight of Yeshua, he screamed. And he fell down in front of him and yelled, Yeshua, Son of God, Ha Elyon, God Most High, what do you want with me? Notice that. Yeshua just simply lands on the shore. And a demonic man had to go to meet him. Who brought that demonic man? The demons that possessed him. All authority and power is given unto Yeshua from God the Father. Let's move forward here. 
what do you want? What do you want with me? I beg you not to torture me. Notice that. This demon knows about his future, that he will be tortured in the lake of fire. Let's go forward here. Verse 29. For Yeshua had ordered the unclean spirit to come out of the man. Notice that in the scripture here, it doesn't tell us when that happened. But it records that this is what Yeshua did immediately when he recognized that this man was demon-possessed. Let's go forward here. For Yeshua, verse 29, had ordered the unclean spirit to come out of the man. It had often taken hold of him. The next part of the verse. So notice this, it would leave and come back. Going on. He had been kept under guard and chained hand and foot, but had broken the bonds and had been driven by the demon into the desert. Notice this. This guy is bound by chains of iron. And I'll tell you this. An average man, all men, do not have the ability to break iron chains with their own strength. But this man was possessed by a demon, just like that demon in Acts chapter 19 that was possessing a man, had unnatural demonic strength. Let's go forward here. And had been driven by the demon into the desert. Yeshua asked him, what is your name? Notice this, he's not asking this man because he knows this man is possessed by a demon. And so he speaks directly to the demon. He says, what is your name? I believe this. Yeshua already knew his name. Going forward here. What is your name? Legion, he said, because of the many demons that had entered him. They begged, now it's plural. They begged Yeshua not to order them to go off into the bottomless pit. See, that's hell. They know where they're going. They know they deserve to go there. They're not questioning his authority. Let's go forward here. Verse 32. Now there was a herd of many pigs feeding on the hill, and the demons begged him. They're pleading with him. To let them go into these. So he gave them permission. The demons came out of the man and entered in the pigs. Whereupon the herd rushed down the hillside into the lake and were drowned. Notice that this man had been possessed time and time again, by these demons. But when they enter into these pigs, what happens? The pigs, they go straight towards the lake and they drown. Verse 34, when the swine herds, herders saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the town and in the country. See, the word spread. And the people came out for themselves. They came to Yeshua and found the man out of whom the demons had gone sitting, dressed and in his right mind. Think about this. This guy became a local novelty. At times they bound him with chains. They did all these things to, to help save himself from himself. And it doesn't record all the things that he had done evil in that community, in the country. Everyone around there knew of this man and knew that he was demonically possessed. But now they see him sitting calmly and dressed. Remember this, prior he wasn't wearing clothes. So something has changed. 
So going forward here. Verse 35, and the people came out to see for themselves. Why? Because they didn't believe those, those uh, sheep or the, the, the pig herders. They came to Yeshua and found the man out of whom the demons had gone sitting dressed and in his right mind at the feet of Yeshua. And they were frightened. Think about the conversation that Yeshua had with this man about the things of God that the scripture doesn't even record here. It says that they were frightened. Those that had seen it told how formerly the demonized man had been delivered. Then all the people from Gerasim district asked him to leave them, for they had been seized with great fear. So he boarded the boat and he returned. So think about this. The deliverer that was able to deliver this man from, from legion, this demonic horde upon his life. They were so terrified. They couldn't put their finger on this. This was beyond their comprehension. So they're asking the one that delivered this man to simply leave. And Yeshua didn't argue with them. He simply got in the boat. And he left. Going on here. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged that he might go with him. Go with who? Go with, with Yeshua. But Yeshua sent him away saying, go back to your home and tell how much God has done for you. He went away proclaiming throughout the whole town how much Yeshua had done for him. Proclaiming this. The kingdom of God is here. How many people in those towns and villages in that country? And notice this. These are men who what? They herd pigs. Well, this was not a Jewish community. This was the nations. And so here God is sending out an ambassador to proclaim God's kingdom is here, and it's through Yeshua. And you know what? What testimony he had? Because everyone knew that this demonic horde was upon his life and that God had delivered him. Now let us turn to another example, and that is Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through 29. See, this is what we're to do with scripture, and I'll end on this portion of scripture today. We are to apply scripture upon scripture, so we'll have the full meaning of this. So we're in Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through 29. Mark chapter 9, verse 14. When they got back, the Talmudim, they saw a large crowd around them. And some Torah teachers arguing with him. Were they arguing with? But with Yeshua. As soon as the crowd saw him, they were surprised and ran out to greet him. He asked them, what? what's the discussion about? One of the crowd gave him the answer. Rabbi, I brought you my son to you because he has an evil spirit in him that makes him unable to talk. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground and he foams at the mouth and he grinds his teeth and he becomes stiff all over. I asked your Talmudim, your disciples, to drive the spirit out, but they couldn't do it. See, the background of this is that Yeshua sent them out two by two and told them, go heal the sick and cast out demons. Going forward, people without any trust, Yeshua responded, how long will I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring him to me. They brought the boy to him. And as soon as the spirit saw him, it threw the boy into a convulsion. Yeshua asked the boy's father, how long has this been happening to him? Ever since childhood, he said, 
and it often tries to kill him by throwing him into the fire or into the water. But if you can do anything, have pity on us and help us. Yeshua said to him, what do you mean if you can? Everything is possible to someone who has trust. Instantly, the father of the child exclaimed, I do trust. Help my lack of trust. And when Yeshua saw that the crowd was closing in on them, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You deaf and dumb spirit, I command you to come out of him and never go back to him again. Shrieking and throwing the boy into a violent fit, it came out, and the boy lay there like a corpse so that most of the people said he was dead. But Yeshua took him by the hand and raised him to his feet, and he stood up. After Yeshua had gone indoors, his Talmudim asked him privately, why couldn't we have driven it out? He said to them, this kind of spirit that can be driven out only by prayer. And so here we see examples in the scripture. And we as believers are not to fear fallen angels and their demonic manifestation of their power. We're living in the latter days. And there'll be times in your life where this demonic horde will come near you, but they cannot possess you in any shape or form. We're not to fear these evil demonic manifestation. But God has given us the power in that Messiah Yeshua dwells within us and the spirit of living God dwells within us. And he will show us what to do for that specific time. And if he says to simply enter into a time of prayer, as the scripture records, or to simply speak out that this demonic being would leave this person's body, God will instruct us to do these things. We're to walk by God's power and not walk by any fear because we're not building our kingdom. We're not drawing people unto ourselves and exalting ourselves, but we're, we're to set people free. For who the Son has set free is set free by the power of the living God. And the power of the living God dwells within all of Yeshua's people, whether you be from the nation of Israel, your, your lineage, or from any of the tribes of the peoples of this earth. If you have Messiah within you, you have the literal power of God flowing through you. And we're not to walk in fear, but a sound mind and allow the spirit of the living God to lead us into all truth. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Shabbat shalom.